The Well here on The Checkup is offering cup-filling human resource stories of innovation, bravery, and creativity. I'm Danielle Houston. I invite you to be part of this community and pull up a chair with me, whether you are sharing your own story or listening to someone else's. Today's episode of The Well is another episode I'm excited to bring, and you're going to notice already the format is a little bit different because I have the pleasure of two guests today and not just one, and I think that you are going to enjoy these two ladies as much as I do. They have such a chemistry and a good history of collaboration, which is exactly the reason I thought they would be a great pair to introduce all of you today. So I have today with me Aranda Reyes and Teresa Simpson. Aranda and Teresa are both certified HR pros who've been collaborating on best practices for hiring and employee retention for the last two years. And how did this come about? They are seemingly from two different worlds, but Ever since Aranda needed was an internal recruiter and HR pro, and Teresa was an external staffing partner, they had some needs that had to come together and find some common ground. They met when Aranda's company was looking to partner with staffing firms on their hiring needs. Teresa's goal was to increase the overall number of contractors in the greater Seattle area. And Aranda's goal was to decrease the spend on contingent employees. So this could have been an adversarial moment, one that they really butted heads over, but they found a way. They put their heads together and they came up with solutions that worked to enhance both of their team's experiences. And from there, they continued to talk regularly. Sounds like maybe a friendship was built there. And they went on to speak at the 2020 and the 2021 Washington State Employment Law Conferences hosted by Washington Sherm. That is how I have also had the privilege of coming into relationship with these two ladies as well, is Washington State Sherm. So they both want to see companies continue to succeed in hiring and retaining the best employees. And you know, if that's an area you're struggling in and you haven't met with success, then today's episode is for you. So welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having us. So excited to have you here because I think, you know, both of your experiences are different enough and your perspectives are different enough that you have some really wonderful advice to share with people and some really practical things that I think we can all really relate to if, you know, you've been engaged in the process at all of meeting with employees or trying to hire them. Which everyone is. Yes, everyone's <laughs> Almost trying everyone. to hire. Yeah, is there a war on talent? <laughs> is there a war on talent? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I, that's a good way to put it. Um, Aranda and I were talking, I compare it to the housing market a lot. That uh, just like, uh, you know, there's this shiny house in this desirable neighborhood that everybody wants and it's got multiple bids on it. 
it's the same thing for desirable job seekers out there. They're the shiny house that everybody wants. And so competition is pretty fierce uh, for for talent, period, um, no matter what your industry, no matter what you're hiring for. Um, it's it's uh, it's the candidate's market and it's an aggressive one for sure. Yeah, it's a very interesting comparison to make, but there really are so many similarities and such an overlap between, between these things. So, you know, you have talked a lot, Teresa, about, you know, this aggressive housing market, companies needing to be equally competitive with employees. So what are some of the things that you are advising employers? I mean, in the analogy, you're the real estate agent, right? Yeah. <laughs> How are you coaching companies to, you know, get the win? Yeah, I mean, I definitely know way more about recruiting than I do about real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but but really it's, you know, as a company, you know, you have to appeal to the candidates. So, you know, you've got to um, uh, attract the talent by having a good reputation in the market, um, being competitive on pay and benefits and solutions. Um, you've got to make sure that the candidate feels special through the hiring process. Um, so I'm just advi- advising clients to be really mindful of process from beginning to end on how they're posting an ad, what they're posting in an ad, how they're making the candidates feel in the process. Um, and when it comes down to an offer, make your best offer first. This isn't a, an, a market where you can come in slightly below you know, what the desired range of the candidate is. This is really a, a market where you've got to come with your best, best offer first. Um, uh, those are, that's the basics that, that I'm telling people. <laughs> yeah. And it's very much like the housing market because I know in my neighborhood, for instance, I watched over the summer four houses sell and they sold within a couple of days. You had to come in and people had to come in with cash offers, waive their inspection. So it kind of feels like that to employers right now. I know, at least from my perspective, you feel like you got to come in hot, come in with that best fit forward, like Teresa mentioned. So very, very similar. Yeah. And even when you do all of those things right, these job seekers have multiple offers on the table. Um, you know, I just experienced something a couple of weeks ago where I really thought it was a sure thing um, all the way around. The company was happy. Canada was happy. I felt really good um, that the offer was going to be accepted. And and another offer came in that just was slightly better um, and made more sense for the candidate overall. And it's it's heartbreaking. You've put a lot of work into this, you know, from the company, from the recruiter, from the, the even the job seeker themselves um, to, to really have it, you know, not happen in the end. So, and there's a lot of burnout on both sides, just as in the housing market, uh, same thing in my neighborhood. I saw lots of houses sell um, in days. Um, and but, you know, buyers are exhausted right now. They're saying that it slowed down just a little bit on the buying and there aren't these multiple cash offers. Um, and um, Aranda, you mentioned this, that um, people aren't willing to waive their inspections. So I'd say right now on the company side, we're seeing burnout and it, there isn't just endless amounts of money that a company can throw at a candidate. Um, you know, they can't bend to every request that somebody has. So I think employers are definitely burned out 
And I think that job seekers came into the market burned out on processes that are outdated, um, jumping through hoops, spending hours upon hours upon hours in interviews, only to be told that another candidate had the one thing that you don't have. Um, so job seekers came in burned out and now companies are burned out. <laughs> That's really interesting, Teresa. And I think, you know, there's a lot of meat in that comment too, that the process itself is just outdated. And this pain is really exposing that, you know, cause some of the other things that we've talked about are, you know, employers, you don't have tons of time to go back and think about this or bring people in for these crazy group interviews where they come in three or four different times or, you know, jump through hoops on Zoom now too, because, you know, the market doesn't support that, but people are tired and people, you know, need to feel like they matter through the process. And it seems like in the past, it really hasn't been necessarily about the candidate nearly as much. I would agree. And Aranda, and, you know, you should definitely expand your company has done amazing things to um, create a better process for uh, candidate experience and hiring. Yeah, I mean, I would say during this downturn, it's a great time that companies have had to streamline their process and procedures. I know we took time to implement a new ATS and we're really looking at the overall candidate experience. Uh, one thing that technology does allow us to do, it allows us to take away a lot of the mundane tasks so we can really focus on the candidates. Um, and we're also doing that with our onboarding process, um, really making it people focused. And so taking those tasks that can be done by technology is really important. So. It's been a great time to do that since we've been experiencing kind of a downturn. So when we are ready to pick back up again, we'll be ready. So, and I think that is a really good lead into the next point that, that we're going to talk about, which is how did we get here? Um, what's happened over the last 18 months and what are the impacts? Yeah, so a lot's happened. I think I don't have to go into too much detail because I think we all lived it. Um, the pandemic. Still um, living it, right? Yeah, still living, still trying to figure out what's going to happen. Um, a lot of things happened as a result of the pandemic. Unfortunately, we lost over 600,000 people in the U.S. alone. Um, but you also saw a huge exodus of women leaving the workforce. Um, over 2 million women left the workforce over the past 18 months. And that's because, you know, even in this day and age, you would think that things are more equal, but usually that responsibility of caring for children or caring for parents does fall to women. So we've seen a huge exodus there. Um, also, a lot of baby boomers have decided to retire early. I think one thing that the pandemic did is help people reassess what's important to them. And so we had 28.6 million baby boomers um, report that they retired over the past 18 months. That's huge. Um, it's a huge exodus of knowledge that we no longer have. And so we're gonna have to fill out figure out how to fill that gap in knowledge. Um, another impact is that we had 20,000 daycare centers uh, shut down across the U.S. And a lot of people say those daycare centers are not going to open back up. The reason for that is a lot of the frontline workers um, in daycare, you know, they didn't have health insurance. They were exposing themselves to COVID and they weren't able to sustain themselves during the pandemic. And so 
that'll have a kind of a, a trickle down effect because as people do try to return to work, they might have a problem finding childcare. Um, another thing that I think happened in general was that COVID really magnified what was already a problem across the US in regards to disparities and issues of underrepresented and marginalized communities. So you have a lot of people who have barriers um, getting into the market and that was definitely magnified, um, put and highlighted during, during COVID. Um, another thing is that, you know, you had a lot of industries that didn't fare very well, like restaurants, retail, um, small mom and pop shops. But these um, the sectors like Target, you know, it reported record breaking sales um, more than it's had like in the past 11 years. So any type of on demand um, type of um, economy did very well during COVID. So it's kind of a tale of two cities. You had people who really benefited from COVID. They say 50% of billionaires actually got richer, um, but there's a lot of people that it impacted um, very poorly and that's usually underrepresented and marginalized communities. So um, in some ways, some industries did great and then others did not. And a lot of people have really been impacted in a negative way. Can we just acknowledge then for a moment that there are so many things about the last 18 months that run so much deeper than, you know, than just the surface stuff that what of what we see, or maybe even of what we read in the newspaper. And it just absolutely makes me feel so sad. Yeah, absolutely. I, I talk to people a lot about this constant, there's a constant certain level of anxiety that I think we're all experiencing if we really look at it and um, whatever is causing that. I mean, it, personally, um, I have to really limit my news because as much as I care about what's going on, um, it just affects me so deeply emotionally. And, you know, I can't let that get in the way of the things that I'm trying to accomplish at work and help people. Um, I haven't seen my family. Um, my family's in Louisiana. I haven't seen them since before the pandemic. Um, that just hasn't been possible. So, um, those are manageable things. I think that so many people have experienced such loss, such pain, um, such, such sadness, um, you know, not to be a complete downer, um, but, you know, uh, private life, you know, and through this, people have realized that they were sacrificing previously. They were sacrificing their private lives. They were sacrificing their mental health. Um, and especially for essential workers, like Aranda said, they were on the front lines putting themselves in danger. Um, and then meanwhile, the, you know, people got richer on the other end of that and companies weren't willing to uh, pay more or offer more flexibility, um, but executives were taking bigger bonuses. So um, I think there's this real um, sense out there of I I'm not going to sacrifice my life, my family, my health. Um, anymore. And so as I'm looking for a new job, you know, as tenants are looking for a new job, what does that next job look like where I don't, I don't have to do those things anymore? Yeah, I agree, Teresa. I, I think that's why you kind of see right now we have what 10.1 million job openings and we have 8.7 um, un million unemployed people, but people are not applying. And so if you were, you look at those two stats, you know, 10 million job openings, 8.7 million people unemployed, and you think there's a job for everybody. But that's not the case because people are reassessing, people are relocating. And so a lot of times what happens is even though we have all those job openings, there's a skills mis mismatch and there's also a location 
um, mismatch. So, and also 4 million people quit their jobs last, um, last month. So there's a lot of, you know, I'm sure you've heard of it, the great resignation, uh, the great churn. There's a lot of movement right now. And like Teresa mentioned, people are going to be more selective and how, which employers they choose to work for. And a lot of people sat back and watched how employers responded during COVID. And so, you know, em employees are being more selective. And so I think employers are gonna have to, it's an opportunity for employers to be more, to show more empathy and to create programs where, you know, maybe they have backup childcare. So we're gonna have to get really creative in order to attract the right talent. Absolutely. And we've all heard about the rage quitting. You know, when I started in staffing in 2012, unemployment was around the same national percentage that it is now. It was somewhere it was hovering around 6%, maybe a little bit less. Um, that's where we are nationally. Um, however, at that time, there weren't more job openings than people and people were applying. Um, we could post an ad and get 100 applications and probably a good 30 or 40 of those people were, were qualified. And that's just not happening. Um you know, the most common reasons that I, my job is to talk to people every day. The most common reasons that I'm hearing from people um, who already quit their job without having a new job lined up, which is just hard to digest sometimes. Um, but I get it because the most common reasons that people have already quit, they want to quit, they're looking for something new, burned out. During this pandemic, people took on extra duties while their companies were short-staffed and it's not sustainable and they need a different work environment. Um, recently, as companies were looking to go back in the office, lots of companies uh, announced in-office dates. Um, people quit because of that. Um, if it's 100% in the office, um, especially for, you know, um, like, you know, accounting, HR, administrative professionals, they just said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to go back in the office 100% when I've proven that I can be productive at home, I'm not willing to sacrifice all that time in the car anymore. Um, and the other reason that I'm hearing from people is they're not being trained. They're not learning anything. There's no room for growth. Um, and then, of course, child care. Uh, it, dependent care overall um, is a huge challenge. So um, when we look at those reasons, it's no wonder why there are more job openings than job seekers. Some people are just afraid that there's, they still might get COVID, right? And some people don't want to get vaccine and there's some sectors that are requiring that as well. So there's a whole mix of reasons why people aren't actually applying right now. And I think there's still a lot for us to see, you know, once at the end of September, once, you know, the government um, subsidies stop, uh, I think we'll truly start to understand where people's heads are at. Uh, but to your point, Teresa, about the mental health, um, I was reading somewhere that 21% of adults right now say that they are experiencing really um, emotional distress, mental health issues. So again, I think that's an opportunity for employers to have programs that are supportive and not just saying they have an EAP, you have to kind of get beyond that. But what are programs you can do to support the mental health of not just your uh, current employees, but also potential employees coming into the door? Okay, so let's talk about that because we've talked a lot of statistics around how many people have left the workforce, the lack of childcare. Um, in so many ways, it seems insurmountable and even more depressing, actually. <laughs> so how do we get into widening? Okay, when we are advising employers then on what can you do, how do we start 
to do that? Do you <laughs> Anybody? That? <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a pipeline issue here. Um, uh, that's the short answer. So you widening, widening the net is, is exactly what we talk about all of the time. What is truly a must have for your role? What can be trained on? Lots of people want to do career changes now. If someone has the attitude and the aptitude, can you train them to do your job that you're having a hard time hiring for? Um, Are you writing your job descriptions and your job postings in a way that makes more people want to apply? Um, I do a lot of experimenting with job postings from very specific ones to very broad, vague ones. And I'll tell you right now, the vague ones get more applicants than the specific ones because people talk themselves out of a job before they've ever even applied. And I always come from a place of, I want to screen in. I want to talk to people. I want to figure out what's really underneath there, what's really going on. So I, I would advise companies to do the same thing. Make your job descriptions, um, you know, more appealing to a wider audience and talk to people um, that you might not talk to, that might not hit your 10 must-haves. What are your three must-haves? Let, let's just start there. Um, you're never going to find all 10. Just- and I think one of the things you've talked about just as we were developing all of this is that employers inadvertently use words and job descriptions too, where someone reading it might look at it and go, oh, that place, uh, I don't really belong there. That was news to me. And I would love, would you highlight that for people who listen? Yeah. I mean, one of my examples that I use constantly is that ad that says, we're looking for a real go-getter who can come in and kill it. (laughs) You know, I mean, for some sales roles, I can see that. But when I... When I read a a job posting like that, it tells me immediately who you're looking for. Um, I've been in sales and recruiting for a long time now. Um, I love what I do. I'm good at what I do. I don't know that I want to like kill it. (laughs) (laughs) So that might eliminate me uh, from applying. Words like that really um, do appeal to um, male job seekers more than women. So And we happen to know that there's a lot of great women in sales who are (laughs) doing it, but we might not be killing it, you know? Exactly. I mean, we're doing the right things for our clients, you know, for, for our market, for our communities. So um, that's, that's my favorite example is, is really look for the wording that you're using and what are candidates reading in between the lines from that. Yeah. I think too, uh, when you talk about widening, widening the pool, it's a great opportunity for employers to get really involved in their communities. And some things will happen organically from, from that. If you're you know, doing a backpack drive, you start to get to know people in your community. There's so many opportunities for us to work with groups like Second Chance um, organizations. Um, I know that Goodwill did a program for 19 to 24 year olds who really have some significant barriers to entry into the, into the workforce. So there's all sorts of programs that you can connect with. Um, I think branding is hugely important. Um, we know that Gen Z and millennials, they have some different expectations of their employers, especially after all the social justice issues last year. They really want employers who really care about um, environmental issues, climate change, uh, diversity, equity, equity and inclusion and belonging. 
So all of those things are really high on their list. And so it's not about doing things that are, you know, slapping a rainbow on a logo. It's about doing things that are authentic to your organization. So it's not about the big things. It's about the small things that you actually are doing and living day to day. So you can no longer just say, you know, these are our values. People are watching and they expect that you are actually doing things that support those values. So I think that's a great way to attract um, maybe the younger generation entering into the market. They have some different expectations. Absolutely. And I think we've talked about that. You and I both have uh, kids who are in that age range and to hear the things that are very important to them and where they pick to work uh, is definitely going to reshape, I think, continue to reshape what that landscape of employment looks like. Um The other thing that you two ladies talk about, and I want to be so sure that we talk about this today too, is culture fit versus culture ad. Fascinating. Um, Would one of you speak to what you mean? Sure, I'll take that. And then Teresa has a lot to say about this too. We talk about this all the time. I, I think we all like to work with people that we could have a beer with. But at the end of the day, Someone you can have a beer with doesn't necessarily get the job done. And so I really think um, there's an opportunity to help people understand their unconscious bias, um, understand that, you know, when you do that, you really limit yourself to bringing in people who have different opinions, different perspectives, uh, different experiences that can add value. So I always say, you know, one thing that gets me and Teresa and I joke about this all the time is a lot of times in the past, I've had hiring managers saying, you know, I don't want to hire that person because that person didn't smile enough. And, it, you know, it kept coming up over and over again and to the point where I said, okay, let's put that in the job description. You know, we need to make it measurable. How many times do they need to smile each day? And then, you know, it helps them understand that that's not really a requirement of the role. So, when Teresa talks about, you know, the correct way to do a job posting, uh, making sure you're not using words that might screen out people. We want to have job descriptions at the core, the core um, responsibilities of the role are consistent. And we're asking the same questions of each applicant. So we're comparing apples to apples. I mean, the best thing you could do is to bring in people from different sectors, um, from different backgrounds, from different education levels. That helps you avoid a lot of the sometimes that happens groupthink. And especially right now when organizations need to be innovative, you need as many people coming to the table with different ideas as possible. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, The culture fit has always been a problem for me, you know, working with uh, companies all over the greater Seattle area. um, They weren't a fit. They weren't a fit. That tells me you're looking for more of the same. You're looking for more of what you already have. So culture add, what are you missing on your team? What viewpoints could you use? Um, uh, One of my coworkers phrased it like this. It's not about how the world sees me. You know, I'm a a over 40 woman, right? Um, It's about how I see the world Um, beyond being, you know, what you see on the surface um, you know, I'm, I'm originally from a different part of the country. I grew up in Louisiana and, you know, moved out to the West Coast and fell in love with it. So I see the world a little bit differently than maybe somebody who's, you know, always lived in Seattle and went to school in Seattle. Um, I will tell you, too, 
the, the, the culture ad and the diversity and really getting down to, does someone really need to smile a lot to, to, you know, work on a production line? Is that required? It's not. Um, I had the most wonderful experience with one of my clients just last week. Um, it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen a client do. Um, they're hiring for a fairly entry-level accounting role in their organization because they're growing so much. Um, they are a nonprofit, so they really, um, their values are truly around diversity, equity, inclusion, um, helping uh, members of our society um, who've been marginalized. And uh, two of the candidates who we had in process, English is not their first language. Um, there is a little bit, uh, definitely strong accents, potentially a slight language barrier where occasionally they needed things to be re rephrased. And at the end of that round of interviews, um, the client said, hey, I really think there's more skills here that we couldn't uncover. Like those interviews didn't go well. Um, what if we come back to the table? What if we give you two or three more questions that we didn't ask? You have the candidates write down their answers. Um, let's have them write down their answers so that they can really articulate some experience and some examples of what they've done. Um, and let's do this again. Let's come back. And uh, I, I, I'm getting emotional just talking about it. So that's what we did. We came back to the table and uh, the candidates were more confident. Um, their written skills were quite impressive. Um, and since they had the time to really think about things, they, they could you know, really shine in the interview process. And uh, ultimately the, the candidate that they went with in hiring um, was one of the candidates who originally was perceived as having a language barrier, uh, but she was truly the best person for the job. So what a, yeah, I mean, what a great example too of recognizing, it kind of goes in line with this whole idea of, you know, do you smile enough, right? Um, Maybe they have all the, the great skills, but they were too nervous during the job interview. Um, maybe their skills are incredible. They just don't have the right words in English to explain that in a conversation. And, you know, one of our next bullet points, and I think it's a beautiful way to, you know, maybe give some other examples or provide some other thoughts is around this idea of, how do we start to evaluate people differently in light of all of the things we know and that you don't have this endless pool of candidates? How can you do a better job at really getting at someone's skills and their add to your organization? Yeah, when I think about that question, I go back to um, a former profession of mine. I was a teacher for many years um, and uh, dealing with students is hard. Um, you never know how they're going to show up. I taught teenagers, <laughs> um, but we, as teachers, we used to say, you know, something all the time that was, we have to believe that these students are coming with the best of what they have that day. And so that's going to vary from day to day. Your class at the beginning of the year, not everybody is at that same skill set level. So um, we also talked a lot about differentiation of instruction. So I think that um, as far as interviewing and even to retaining employees, I think we've got to assume that people are coming with their best every day, whatever that means in the moment. And we've also got to take an individualized approach, depending on the role, depending on the needs, depending on the audience. Um, how can we meet job seekers and employers where they are? Um, and Rhonda, I know you've got stuff to add to this too on, on really digging into how do we evaluate people 
with different yeah. abilities. I think it's also an issue of just finding people also. Um, I know McDonald's is doing, um, some of their corporate um, shops are doing drive-up interviews. Um, I heard uh, a talent acquisition manager from Shutterfly who, you know, they need seasonal workers to do photography, to take school photos, and they weren't getting anyone. And so they started going to camera shops and advertising there. Um, I know that I got a coupon. I get a coupon every month from Bath and Body Works. And this month, um, it had a scan code of, please, we're hiring you know, scan here. So I'm sure they figure if I love their products, I might want to work for them. So I think you see a lot of employers being really creative, Um, not, you know, just also in how they um, screen, but just being able to reach um, employable people who might be interested in applying. I think that's really important for us to be really innovative and think and kind of rethink the way we've always done things. And it's not going to work in the future. We have to meet people where they are. Those outdated practices, you know, I was talking uh, to a friend of mine and we were talking about back in the days where we used to have to look through the newspaper every day and cut (laughs) out the ads that you were interested in. And then meanwhile, one of my coworkers, uh, who's a a young millennial, um, we were talking about a job posting and he goes, you think there'd be an easier way to do this? And I was like, this is the easy way. (laughs) Man, hearing that barcode scanning thing that you just talked about. Yeah, you're a customer of theirs. Maybe you do want to work for them. Um, Just companies realizing who is invested in them, period. Um, And really, look, it takes a lot of work on the front end to um, sit down with a team and go, we're hiring for these positions. What are the real questions we need to be asking that we should ask every candidate that we will ask every candidate? And how will we rate the responses? What's the ideal response? What's the kind of mid-tier response? And what's the unacceptable? And, you know, where does that fall in? So a lot of planning and forethought goes into that. So um, around a lot of examples of just, again, widening the net, meeting people where they are, and then let's continue that through the interview process. Yeah, there are some other interesting kind of innovative approaches too that you ladies outlined. Rhonda, do you, do you want to hit on some of those? Well, I mean, I think everybody's using video. Um, before COVID, we didn't do any video interviewing. And now that's mostly what we use because why, you know, waste the candidate's time and having them come in um, when they might, you might be able to screen them out either over the phone or via video. Um, I know Teresa's talked a lot about where people pre-record um, the interview questions and then have candidates respond, giving them time to respond three times so they can go at their own pace and they can feel more comfortable. Um, I think that's really innovative. I love the drive up interviews from McDonald's. Um, And I think you see a lot of employers doing college um, tuition now um, by both Walmart and Target are doing that. I mean, if I were younger and that opportunity rose, sign me up. I think that's amazing um, because it gives your employees an opportunity to continually learn and add value, not just when you hire them, but throughout their career with an organization. Um, I've heard that Verizon is doing a great job doing things like a career GPS, where every single employee knows that when they walk into the organization, this is how you can get into other different types of roles. So it's not always upward. It might be a lateral move, but they all have a very clear understanding of what it takes to move into different roles. And there's providing that support with education opportunities. So I think, um, yeah, those are some of the innovative things I've seen as far as employers trying to attract talent. Um, And again, just 
doing everything you can to talk about what your values are and getting that messaging out there. I think we can pretty much assume that whatever consumers are expecting right now, that's probably what your employer employees, prospective employees are also going to expect from a, from a company. Yeah. I love all of those. I've seen some companies get rid of applications. Um, I think um, sometimes we forget how intimidating an application can be to people. Um, they get nervous about filling it out incorrectly and sometimes just don't do it. Um, so I've even seen companies get rid of that traditional application. Um, or why do you even need a traditional resume if somebody has a LinkedIn profile? Um, sitting down to write down what you've done in your job every day for the last several years, again, might not be somebody's strong suit. Right. So those are other ways to innovate easily too. I love it. It is interesting how many of those things have just become the staples that we think we should do just because we've always done them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ladies, I know. Yeah, it's always been that way. So why not? Well, you know, we're rounding the corner into what is left of 2021, which is unbelievable because I wasn't really sure we were going to survive 2020. And now here we are, like we've almost survived 2021. What are some key things that you would advise your fellow recruiters, people who are acquiring talent, what should they be considering or doing as we start this final leg? I think the number one thing is exercise extreme empathy Mm -hmm. right now. um, You know, not everybody is set up in a situation with all the things that have gone on, whether it be mental health or having to care for, you know, children, you have to be able to have programs to be supportive of your current employees and also potential employees and just not be so rigid. Um, Understand that things have changed and we might need to do new and innovative things in order to allow people to show up to work. Um, And I've been hearing a lot of rumblings about, you know, um, frontline workers, production workers versus office workers. I realized that I've had the privilege to have that flexibility to work from home. But what about the people that have to be there each and every day? What type of systems and programs can we implement so if they do have an emergency with with childcare, they're still able to show up to work? So I think just empathy, maybe look at some of your uh, prior pre-COVID policies and procedures that may not work any longer in the new environment. Um, You might have to change some things. That's one thing. And I think also... The number one thing, and then I'll hand it off to Teresa, is um, recruiting and talent acquisition is not just a few people in your company. It's everybody. So everybody holds the responsibility to recruit for employees. You know, what's your um, employer brand? What's your employee value proposition? It just doesn't sit with one or two people. It's an entire organization buying into that and being supportive of the process. Yeah. Oh, love that. It's so true because if employees are happy where they are, they're going out and they're telling their friends, their friends are telling their friends and the word gets around. And, um, you know, as, as a staffing professional, I often have friends who come to me and go, oh, I'm looking for a company where I can have this, this, and this. And I can tell them which ones those are. Oh, here are the great companies. Here's where you should be applying. This is what they do well. Um, so I think examine your company's reputation in the market. Um, how, I mean, and it's going to be hard to really have an honest look and ask for honest feedback and take the honest feedback and don't hold it against the person, but 
really examine your, your company's reputation in the market. Are you constantly reposting the same job over and over again? Um, do you have high turnover? Do people know about the turnover? Um, that's not attracting attractive. Um, so examine your reputation and then maybe even just make people more aware of your company, um, what your company does for the community um, to just increase that positive public perception. Um, like Arana said, get involved, do something. There are plenty of mutually beneficial activities that can help the community while also helping your company. Um, listen to your employees, um, take an individualized approach. Like it's not a one size fits all anymore. Um, you can't blanket offer free daycare and think that that solves everything. Some people need that, but some people need different things. So have that individualized approach as much as you possibly can when listening to employees. And last thing, simplify and streamline your hiring process. That's it. <laughs> Make it easy to do business. Yes. <laughs> yeah, period. <laughs> I shout that from the rooftops every single day. That's the one thing that I am shouting. <laughs> if you take nothing away from today's conversation other than that, for the love, make it easier. <laughs> yeah. Well, ladies, I appreciate your willingness to work together to bring these ideas and recommendations to your HR community. I want to say, you know, too, in this forum, you two work together also in SHRM. You work so often and so regularly at giving back to your HR community. And I, I appreciate that. I love watching the two of you work together. And I would use this as an opportunity too, to ask HR people out there, you know, if you aren't part of SHRM today, or if you're not actively involved, why not? You know, there has never been a time that I can think of where, you know, we have needed our HR community more, like you need each other. And this is a great place to do that within SHRM, uh, you know, and certainly watching today and listening to what these ladies can share from their expertise. So thank you for all you do in the community. Thank you for sharing with people here. And I know that if people want to connect with you, um, you're both on LinkedIn and yes. Willing to say yes, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> don't reach don't out anytime. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for making yourselves available and, and uh, doing your part in building community. And folks, if you have more questions about recruiting or if you have some creative ideas too that you think would be beneficial to your HR community, would you send them our way? Everyone's yes, talking about this. <laughs> yeah, let's let's pull together all those smarts and you know all that ability and heart out there and uh, and learn from each other. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for being a part of The Well, and I hope you will follow the podcast and check in with us the next time too. Take good care. <laughs>